This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. I have children. Okay. So first I want to tell you a short little story about TorahAnytime.com, who sits here every single week. So this morning I went to Landau's a little bit late, um, to Davin. And there was this young man, he may even be here tonight, I don't see him, but he may be here tonight. There was this young man who was continuously staring at the talus bag in front of me. Now, little did he know, I wasn't standing in front of my talus bag. I was standing in front of somebody else's talus bag. So he kept looking at it, and I was like, should I tell him it's not my talus bag and that's not my name? I didn't tell him anything. Anyway... Usually when people look at my talus bag, it's so that when I finish down there, they can say to me, Oh, Zechariah Wallerstein, I'm collecting for this and that, and whatever it is. This guy didn't look like he was collecting for anything. Um, so when I finished davening, he said to me, You're Zechariah Wallerstein. I said, Yes. He said, I have to tell you something. I waited, you know, for you to finish. I have to tell you something. I said, Okay. He said, I haven't been in Minion forever and really I only go to Minion Friday night if I go Friday night he said since the share you gave about your father on Torah anytime about your honeymoon on that island I haven't missed a Minion I just want you to know that so I said to myself so I told him I said I just have to tell you thank you very much first of all again he didn't understand because he knows what, I'm look- what I look like from Torah anytime but the name in front of Talis bag didn't match, so he was like wondering, and he figured it out. Um, what's the, so what's the greatness of the story? Baruch Hashem, it's a beautiful story, don't get me wrong. The greatness of the story is two things. Number one, you have this camera sitting in front of me, it's dead. It's dead, it's not a live person. It's, 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 a, it's a, a piece of metal with a battery, with a lens, right? This camera has caused, this, this one story, it caused a million stories, but this one story... This camera's cool that this guy went on, saw this shear, saw the story, and because of that has not missed Minion in, since that story must be a month old, at least, it's about four weeks ago, my father's yard site. So he hasn't missed Minion, not just Shachris, Mincha and Mayriv, already for a month. The power of, of technology when it's used correctly is amazing. That's number one. Number two, I was just saying, like my father, the story, I married 30 years. So the story of the whole honeymoon thing, He's 30 years old. My father's not here in this world almost 10 years. And what he did on that phone call 30 years ago is affecting someone who probably wasn't born yet. Because I don't know if this guy's 30. Probably wasn't born when my father did that. And he's affecting him 30 years later that this guy is not missing Minion. So my father made that one comment to me on that phone. The person has to realize that what you do, one thing that you do in this life, and that's correct, that you have no idea what 30 years later. Now, I don't even know what's going to happen with this guy because maybe because of his minion, his children are going to always go to minion. So it could be 60 years from now, it's going to have an effect on his children. I don't know. Who knows? A person has to know that what you do in this world, every cause has an effect. And has to show the other way around. If you do something bad, you do something wrong, 30 years later, someone might do something wrong because you did that something wrong. So it was like a wake-up call to me this morning. It was like, it was amazing. This guy, out of blue, I don't know him. He doesn't come to the shear. He, he, he didn't see me here. He went online and he saw the shear. 
Guys, you have the Koyach. Every person has the Koyach to, to affect so many people for so many years. And we have to be very careful to make sure that we use it, you know, we use it correctly and that we use technology correctly. Okay. That's my plug for Torah anytime this week. Good plug? Anyway, it's a true story. I didn't make it up. Maybe he's here tonight. I don't know if he's here. All right. This week's parasha. First of all, Rosh Chodesh tonight. Rosh Chodesh Ador Rishon. Mishinichnas. What? Ador Aleph. What? Double header this year. We have two Adars this year. Right. Now. Ador is Mishinichnas Ador Mavir Mesimcha. When Ador comes in, it's time to be more happy. That's what my shit is going to be about tonight. What does that mean? You should drink more, smoke up more. The Giants won because it was almost Adar. You know, like, what was the, you know, like, what does that mean? You should be more happy. You should go out and buy a joke book tonight, get some comedy flicks. What, what, what? How do you just, how does the person, okay, well, I'll gave a share. Hello, everybody? You opened up your Shulchan Aruch. I'm so happy now. You're not going to change because it says, What does that mean? Everybody knows this. But they tell us how. You can't take a shower. You can't listen to music. You can't make a wedding. Right? All these things, you're not allowed to buy new things. Anything that makes you happy and of, you're not allowed to do. So it doesn't just tell us, be more, be less happy and of, you go figure it out, right? That's not what it means. It tells you how to be less happy. So how come in Adar, it doesn't tell us how to be more happy? How does one become more happy? It should say, make a lechaim every morning in Adar. Something, how, how do I, how am I going to be more happy, right? Take off an hour, relax, go to Florida, I don't know, whatever makes you happy. There's no halacha on how to become happy. But there is a halacha to become less happy. So tonight I want to talk about what does it mean, what do they expect us from Ador, from the month of Ador. Again, listen to the words, Mishinichnas Ador. Automatically, if you, if you take the words apart, Mabin Basimcha, you can read it, that when Ador comes in, I'm more happy. So there's something in Ador that makes me naturally more happy. Not that I have to do anything. I don't got to drink. I don't got to smoke up. I don't got to go dancing. I don't got to go, go turn on the music. Something in Ador is going to make me happy. Therefore, it doesn't tell us how to become more happy. It's an automatic. Ador, you're happy. Now, by a show of hands, how many guys tonight, when the two stars came out and it became Rosh Chodesh Ador, all of a sudden were sitting in their car, Wow. What were you smoking? What? You just sitting in your car and all of a sudden you start smiling? Oh, okay. But that, uh, that's at 10.30. All right. You can go on the Shabbaton. All right. All right. Why? We can always make one exception, you know? All right. Anyway, so, so the question is, what does that mean? Right? What does that mean? If, it wasn't, if it wasn't something that's automatic, then the, the Shulchan Aruch would tell you what you have to do. So it's much for that. It's, it sounds like it's, it's an automatic thing. Here goes my phone. Okay. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight. But we're going to, we're going to, we're going to connect it to this week's parasha, which is a beautiful parasha, 
which is the Pasha Truma. Now, everyone thinks that the beauty... Stop with the camera. Everyone thinks that the, the beauty of Pasha Truma is the building of the, of the Mishkan. But I think the beauty of Pasha Truma is that the building of the Mishkan... Why did Hashem build the Mishkan? Does anyone here know why Hashem built the Mishkan? Specifically, the Mishkan was built after the Egel. Because after the Egel, and we went through this terrible time, and we felt so separated from Hashem, HaKadosh Baruch Hu felt that he had to build a place for Klai Yisrael to see his Shekhinah. I, I stepped out of the box. I made this comment to someone a few weeks ago. I'm very into, and I did it this summer in Monticello, um, that you can't just take things away from guys and not replace it. You take away a pool hall, you take away this place and this joint and that joint, and then uh, what are they supposed to do? Just stand out in the street? So you have to give them some place. So this summer we closed the pool hall, and we, well, we took over the pool hall, and then we closed the pool hall, the pool hall closed, and we, and we, we took a bowling alley. We said, you know, free bowling. And the girls, we said, you have a different bowling alley, and you have free bowling, because you can't, you can't just take everything away from everybody and not give them. I think really that this is what happened by the Mishkan. Not that Kishbochu ever made a mistake. God doesn't make a mistake. But, but what happened by the Egel? By the Egel, the, the Jews felt a disconnection. They always had Moshe Rabbeinu between them and Hashem. When Moshe Rabbeinu didn't show up on time, right? So they felt they lost Moshe Rabbeinu. They need to replace that. You can't just take Moshe Rabbeinu away from us. So we need to replace that in between us and God. They made an Egel. Now, Hashem took the Egel away. And they ground it up and they gave everyone to drink and their stomachs exploded and they died. Whatever it is. Now Hashem took the Egel away. So, this might be a little bit out of the box, but Hashem saw that you can't just take away the connection and think that the Jews are just going to follow HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So Hashem replaced it. And he built not a gym and not a pool hall, not a bowling alley. He built a Mishkan. He built a place that every single day, every single Jew could come and see the Shekhinah. Because Hashem realized that you take away the Egel, even though it's an Egel, it's an Abayi Zara, they got to be replaced. They got to have something. And that's, of course, my line that when I go to people to raise money for the building I'm trying to build for Anaba, I tell them that, you know, you tell the girls you can't go to the clubs, and they can't go to the cave, and they can't go to the pizza time on Avenue J, and they can't go here, and you're not allowed to hang out there, and, right? Some guy just wrote down the cave. I'm not supposed to give you information, right? It's not a place for you, right? And you take away all these places, and then they're standing there like, okay, Rob Wallstein, so I'm not going to go bowling with the guys. I'm not going to shoot pool with the guys. I'm not going to go to the cave. I'm not going to go here. What do you expect me to do? Go home and bake donuts, right? And that's what they told me. So they're 100% right. So we need to build a building with a pool and a gym and a chill room and a base medrash and all these things so that there's another place. Well, the Mishkan was built that Hashem said, Your whole problem was, I don't see Moshe Rabbeinu, God's not here, Moshe's not here, panic, we need, we need some kind of connection. Hashem said, you don't need a connection, I'm going to be right there, you want to see me? You can come to the Mishkan. So, the beauty of this parasha, the beauty of this parasha, is that instead of Hashem saying, oh, look what they did, right? I'm going to go further away from them. Hashem said, look what they did. They need me more. I'm going to move into them. That's the beauty of the whole Mishkan, of the building of the whole Mishkan. Now, 
to get connected to Hashem in that manner, that, that God, that you stepped away from God, you did something wrong, and the reaction of God is not to step away from you, but to step closer to you, there's something that you have to switch in who you are. In other words, normally, if, if, if you're not nice to me, I'm going to move back. I'm not going to move in with you. I'm going to move out. Klaishro just did the Egel before the Mishkan. Because Boko should have said, I'm going further in Shemayim. I'm getting further away from them. No, I'm moving in. What happened? <coughs> Why would Hashem do that? So if you focus on the first Pasuk, the second Pasuk in Truma, it says, Dabel B'nei Yisrael, V'yichuli Truma. Talk to the B'nei Yisrael. Hashem said, okay, I got this idea. Let's build this Mishkan. I want to move in. But I am not going to move in unless you want me to move in. I am not going to force myself on Klai Yisrael. So the first words of building a Mishkan, now I'm talking about each one of us, because if we want God to, move, to be part of us, we have to build within us a Mishkan. And many of us make the mistake is we build, we, we never, we build an Egel. In other words, I don't see God, I don't see the connection, and I need some kind of connection, so I'm going to go to a different religion, I'm going to believe in my television, I'm going to believe in my music, I'm going to believe in, in, in psychology, I'm going to believe in school, I'm going to believe in money, right? I'm going to believe in power. Those are all the Egels. So if you don't have a Mishkan inside of you, and Hashem doesn't dwell inside of you, I'll tell you a beautiful story about this, then you're going to look for all these different Egels. So Hashem says, okay, let me teach you how to build a Mishkan inside of you. How do you get me, God, to move into you? How do you get plugged in? So the first thing Hashem says is, the only one that I'll move into is a person who donates what? Money? No. Libo, your heart. Hashem doesn't want your money. Hashem wants your heart. That's what He wants. He wants you to be dedicated to Him. He wants your heart. So Hashem opens up. You would think, Hashem says, you want to build a Mishkan? First guy to give me $2 million? We put His name up on Donated by someone. So do you know that in the Mishkan, there wasn't one plaque? The Oran HaKodesh, donated by the Weiser family. The Shulchan, donated by the Schwartzberg family. Right? No. No such thing. Hashem said, I don't want a dedication with a plaque. I want a plaque on your heart. Like the story I told you about the guy with the girl who had the tattoos, and, he, and she said, I see the UK Bubke on your, the tattoo of the UK Bubke on your heart. Hashem said, a Mishkan, you want me to dwell? I don't want your money. I don't need no dedications. I need no covet. Asher Yidveno Levi. Levi, I want your heart. Tichlet Trumasi. From that person, I want Truma. And then, what's the Truma? Gold, silver, right? And then, after all that, what does the Pasuk say? Vaasali Migdash. If I have your heart, if I have your heart and your, dedi- and, and your dedication, then you make me a Megdash and I give you my word. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. That any person in this room, if you give God a place to rest in your soul and in your heart, God promises in this parasha, you have my word, I will dwell in you. But you first have to build a Mishkan for me. And how does a person build a Mishkan? One way. One way, by giving Hashem your heart. And I don't mean physically. I mean spiritually. And interesting, so guys think, okay, yeah, tzaddik, a big man, he could do that, I can't do that. 
the mo- what, 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 what is, the, what was in the Holy of Holies? What was in the guts? What was in the heart of this Mishkan where God dwelt? What was the Holy of Holies? There was only one thing in the Holy of Holies. The Oran HaKodesh. Everything that was in the Kachim was in the Holy. The Shulchan, the Menorah, the Mizbech the other Mizbech was all the way outside. One thing was in the Holy of Holies where you weren't allowed to go in, only the Kohen Gadol once a year. What was that? The Oran HaKodesh. What was in the Oran HaKodesh? The Luchos. What Luchos were in the Oran HaKodesh? Both. The broken and the whole. Why would you put broken Luchos in the Oran HaKodesh? They're broken. Put the, put the other ones there. The broken ones are a memory of a terrible, terrible time. Oh, I'm going to tell you something that's going to blow your brains out. Yeah? Why would you bring... You're not allowed to wear gold. Listen carefully. You're not allowed to wear gold on Yom Kippur, the coin Godot, was not allowed to walk into the Kodesh Kedoshim with anything gold. Why? Because it's going to remind Hashem of the Egel. And in the day that you're asking forgiveness, you don't want to remind Hashem of the Egel. I have a fantastic question to ask. What are you talking about? Sitting in the Kodesh Kedoshim that the coin is not allowed to go in with gold in the most holy place where it says between the Kruvim is where the Shekhinah was. That's where you put the Ketairah, right? In there were the broken Luchos, which is the greatest memory of the Egel. That's, that's when Moshe broke the Luchos. So what are you talking about? You're worried about a Kohen going to wear gold? It's sitting in the, in the Arnach Kodesh. Why would Hashem want the broken Luchos to be in the Arnach Kodesh? That is the memory of the worst day of our lives. It's like, it's like you, 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 you came home and you bought your wife this beautiful painting, right? And she was in this terrible mood and you were in a big fight. And she took the painting and she took her, a knife and she cut it and she sliced it. She made a big X right in the Mona Lisa. X, X, $250,000 painting you bought her to show her how much you love her. And she said, yeah, I'll show you. And she took her knife and she just slashed that whole painting. And on your anniversary, right, you're celebrating your anniversary, you come back, what did you do? You framed it. Here's my present for our anniversary. She'll throw you with it out of the house. That's what you want on my anniversary, the worst day of our lives, the biggest fight we ever had. When I cut the painting, why don't you burn that? You framed it, now you want to hang it in the living room? You want to, you want to you remind me of how you treated me? So what's going on over here? Why would I could Baruch Hu put... The broken luchos in the most holy of holies. Question number one. Question, they don't see it. Hashem's in there. We don't see it. But, but they don't see it. This is a memory. So then why can't go with gold? Go with gold. This is Masha and Hashem's face. The new luchos, we, we did it well. We didn't make an egg out. Everything was good. Take those broken luchos and bury them under Harsinai. And nobody should ever see it again. 100%. But it's a bad memory. It's a... It's a, it's a broken ring. It's a, it's, it was Hashem's Kedushin. It was his ring to us. And I understand what you're saying, but it's in the Kurdish Kedushin. Then they should have taken the Luchos and put it outside where all Kleistro could see it. And every time they walked by, they said, look what we did. Nobody saw that. It was in a box. It was in, in three boxes. So, what? Right. It, it's not a question. It's, it's, Hashem doesn't forget anything. But when you put it out there in front of, you know, she didn't also forget 
what happened that day. But it's a simon. It's like a simon bracha. Just like the other thing, Hashem needs you to do schoolers and all these things. We need to do school. Hashem doesn't know. You have to say Pasha B'Shalach. The Pasha Haman, he doesn't know that you need a living, that you need money. What are you doing? It's all for whatever. It's Ma'ayre. It, wake, it, it awakens, whatever that means. So this is something that, you know, on, on, on Yom Kippur, when, when I do Chin, right, I'm not going to have any gold on my hands either. And, you know, gold watch has to come off. Gold cufflinks have to come off. When you do Chin on Yom Kippur, you're not supposed to have any gold. Gold reminds of the ego. So the question is, why are they in there? Question number two. The Aron HaKodesh itself... If you look at its measurements, okay, it was two and a half amos long, an amma and a half wide, and an amma and a half tall. Everything's halves. Two and a half, one and a half, one and a half. Everything else, all the other things, if you look at um, the shulchan and the other things that were made, you'll see that the shulchan, two amos, one amma, and then only one of them was an amma and a half. Here, every measurement, length, width, height, all halves. Says in to tell us something very important for all of us in here. That the broken luchos are, and if, I, and if you just hear this tonight and leave, you heard more than I could ever tell you. Just what I'm about to tell you. To God, the broken luchos are as precious as the whole luchos. A broken Jew is as close to Hashem as a whole Jew. A Jew that sins and a Jew that doesn't know is as precious to Hashem as the, as the one that's the greatest tzaddik in the world. The broken luchos lay in the most holy of holies next to the perfect luchos. Because Hashem wants all his children to know that to him it doesn't make a difference if you're whole or if you're broken. He loves you just as much, and to him you're just as holy, and therefore the Oran HaKodesh, the Oran HaKodesh that holds the broken Luchos, is also broken. And therefore every measurement of the Oran HaKodesh is a half. One and a half, two and a half, one and a half. Everything has a half to teach us that you don't have to be whole to rest in the Kodesh Kedashim. Every Jewish person, no matter how broken you are, as far as God is concerned, you are always in His Holy of Holies. It is the most, one of the most amazing Dvar Torahs I ever heard. I have never forgotten this. I heard this a long time ago, and I have never forgotten this. Because it is such a statement. Say, Kodesh Kedashim, you know? It's like the Sefer Torah that's puzzled that's next to the Sefer Torah, that's kosher. And the Aran HaKadosh. They both rest in the Aran HaKadosh. Can't take the Sefer Torah, that's possible, and throw it on and, and leave it on the, de- on the table. It has to be in the Aran HaKadosh. Kosh Baruch Hu treat, think, loves each one of us, broken or not broken, equally. Therefore, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, that what reminds me, what I see, in the broken Luchos, is the broken Jew. And that broken Jew to me, is as close to me as the whole Jew. The gold that the Kohen Gadol is not allowed to bring into the Kaddish Kedoshim, that's not a broken thing. That's Gaiva. Gold is shiny. Gold is worth a lot of money. That, Hashem says, that don't bring into my Kaddish Kedoshim on Yom Kippur. But a broken Jew? 
you can bring that into my annual kipper. Specifically, you can bring that into my Kodesh Kedoshim. And I've said this story a million times, and it's a very famous story about the Arizal, where, where the Ari Kodesh at the end of Yom Kippur used to stand there and close his eyes and go up to Shemayim in Kabbalah and see if the Tfilot got through the gate in Shemayim and Hashem accepted it. And when he would see that happen, he would stand and he would dance and everyone in the shul would dance because they would know that God accepted our tools in Yom Kippur. And then there was one Yom Kippur and Yom Kippur was over and the Elah was over and he stood there's a famous, it's written down in many form. The Rav Chaim Vital writes the story down. And that the Jews were all in shul, and that reshul in Tzvas. And it was, Yom Kippur was over. And that Rizal was in his comatose state, whatever it was, with his eyes closed. And he stood there. And no Kaddish, and no dancing. And they began to panic. And they began to say to Hillam that their tulas weren't accepted. And if their tulas weren't accepted, Kaisal tulas weren't accepted. And all of a sudden, this peasant walked into shul, who knew nothing, he was a Jew, but he knew nothing about Yom Kippur, and he knew nothing about davening, and he didn't know how to read. He was a, a farmer out in the desert somewhere. And he came in, and he saw that everybody was standing there with their heads to the floor. Yom Kippur was over, and that Rizal was just standing there. And he took out his flute, and he started to play with his flute, because he felt bad that everyone was so broken. And he played with his flute like you never heard flute was played. And the Rav Chaim Vital writes that all of a sudden, when he finished playing the song, the Arizal began to jump and to say Kaddish and to sing and to dance. And it was amazing. Meanwhile, when he was playing flute, all the people were screaming at him. Yom Kippur's just over and you're playing flute. Yeah, Yom Kippur, they were screaming at him. And they... I, I know it from that Arizal. Maybe it happened again by the Baal Shem Tov. I don't know. This is the story that I know. And he began to sing and he began to dance. And they turned around and they said to him, what happened? And he said that all the tillers of Klaishro were backed up at the gate of Shemayim and the Sultan was standing there and they could not go through the gate. And all of a sudden this beautiful sound came from earth from this Jew who knew nothing, from this broken Luchos, from this broken man who knew nothing about Judaism. And that sound smashed down the gates of Shemayim and because of it all the tillers were miscavled. To God, a broken Jew is sometimes even closer, an Evion and an Ani is even closer than a complete Jew. And therefore the Luchos laid broken in the Kodesh Kedoshim, in an Aranach Kodesh that every measurement was broken. Every measurement was a half. And that's what HaKadosh Baruch wants us to know. For Shachanti Besocham, whether you were Machal Shabbos, whether you made mistakes, whether you did things that were wrong, don't let the Yetzirah tell you that I don't want to dwell within you. I, you can dwell in the most holy place. I want to dwell in every single Jew, says HaKadosh Baruch Hu. I want to be close to every Jew. I say this story by many Sheva Brochus. There's a famous story about a king who had three daughters. And his first daughter got married and he came over to her and he said, anything in the kingdom that you want, I will give you. And she looked at her father and she said, I have everything, Dad. What I want is one thing, is your crown. And he said, why do you want my crown? And the daughter said, because I'm going to move away, I'm getting married. And I'm going to move away, Dad, and I'm going to forget you. And I know if I have your crown, and I put it in my living room, on the mantle, every time I walk by, I'm going to see the crown of the king, and I'm going to remember my father. And he said, that's so nice and so sensitive. And he took off his crown, and he gave it to his oldest daughter. And his second daughter got married. And he came over to her, and he said... Anything you want, I will give you. And she said, Dad, I'm so scared I'm going to forget you. I'm moving away. Do me a favor. There's a beautiful portrait of you, a painting in the hallway. 
I would love if you would give me the portrait. That way I'm going to hang it in my hallway, and every single time I'm going to go down the hall, I'm going to see you, Dad, and I'm going to remember you. And he was so emotional, and he was so taken, that that's all his daughters want. And then his youngest daughter got married. And he went to his youngest daughter, and he said to her, Listen, my crown is gone. My portrait is gone. What could I give you? And she turned to her father, and she said, I never wanted your crown, and I don't want your portrait. I want the blueprints of your palace. And he looked at her, the blueprints of my palace, we built this 30 years ago. Maybe I could find it. I think maybe I have it in the attic. I'm not sure. I'll go upstairs, I'll look, but I don't understand. She said, Dad, just get me the blueprints of a palace. He went upstairs, he found them, he brings it down to his daughter. One daughter had this beautiful crown, the other daughter has a beautiful portrait. What does this kid want with the blueprints of the palace? He gives her this old, dusty blueprints. He says, what do you want, darling? What do you, why do you want this? She said, Dad, it's not enough for me to remember you. I want to build a palace just like this where you're going to be comfortable, and that wherever I move and I build this palace, I will send for you so that you should live together with me. Not just to remember you, but I want to see you every single day. And I don't want you to be uncomfortable, so I'm going to build an exact palace like you live in now. And he turned to his daughter, and he gave her the blueprints, and he said, you truly love me. Not good enough to remember me, but you want me to be with you all the time. And I tell this to Hassanim and Kalas all the time. And you can use it if you ever have to speak by Jebarachas. There are people, they're very good people, and they go to this farm store, they go to Eichler's and Stam, and they walk in and they say, I just built a $5 million mansion. I'm not going to be cheap. I want $100 mezuzahs. And I want $50 mezuzahs, $100 mezuzah covers. And it's beautiful, don't get me wrong. And they put mezuzahs all over their house. Very nice. And every time they go into a room, they kiss it, it says, Shakai, Hashem's name. Ooh, Hashem. I remember Hashem. Kissed him as a remember Hashem. Beautiful. And then there are people who are even closer to Hashem. It's not enough, Mezuzahs. They go to the Judaica store, and they buy beautiful paintings of Israel and rabbis, and they buy beautiful Mezuzahs. No, it's, it's very good. Don't get me wrong. I'm not knocking it. And they buy beautiful estric boxes, and for the Seder, they have a beautiful ka'ara made out of silver. And they spend a lot of money. So that anywhere you walk in their house, there's a kiddush cup. There's a painting of a rabbi. There's a painting of the kosel. There's a painting of Keva Rachel. They're always remembering Hashem. But then, there's the v'shachanti b'saycham. The person that says, mezuzah is not enough. Paintings of Eretz Yisrael is not enough. Hashem... I want to build a house that is from your blueprint that you're going to want to live with me together. Not that I'm just going to remember you, but that God is in my house. Not that I remember God when I'm in the house, but I'm going to build a house without television and without DVDs and without magazines and without all the garbage because God ain't coming into that house. He doesn't watch television. He hates Oprah more than I do. <laughs> All the waste of time that people who watch, and not Oprah, I'm talking about the whole, the whole scene, the whole sitcoms, the whole everything. Bart Simpson, the whole Hevra, all of them. Don't make a difference. Don't make a difference. All of that. You're not making Hashem, you're not building a Mishkan. You're not building a Mishkan. For the Mishkan is Meshachati Besochab. The Mishkan means that tonight in your room, every guy in this room, that God wants to be with you in your room tonight. You answer that question. 
I'm not going to answer. You think if Hashem wants to be in your room tonight, with all the goodies you have in your room, you think if Hashem wants it, is there an Aron HaKadosh in your room, a Mizbeach, a Shulchan, which Kaili is in your room? Of the Kaili is in the Mishkan. Yeah, it's very nice. You have a picture of uh, Rav Kaduri, and another picture of this rabbi, and that picture, Baruch Hashem, and a mezuzah, at least you remember God for a moment before you turn it on. You know, you go to mezuzah, all right, you know, the mezuzah stands, it's very nice, but, but what this girl was saying to her father was, that's not what I want. Give me the blueprint. I want to build a house that you feel at home. And that's what I tell the chassan Rakala. It's not good enough. You, you, want, you want to have children, you want to have a parnasa, you want to have health, you want to be happy, I'll give you one guarantee. If God lives in that house, that's going to be a very good house. He doesn't hang out in the slums. If your house is a house where God's going to live, there's going to be singing and children and happiness and beauty. I can't guarantee you if you have a memory in your house of Him what's going to be. But if your house is a house for Shechanti B'Soycham, and what does Hashem tell us? For Shechanti B'Soycham has to be Yitzvenu Libo. The first thing I want for you is your heart. Don't give me all the other stuff. People think they can give tzedakah. They, it's all good. But Hashem says, before you give me the tzedakah, give me your heart. Look at Pasha's Truma. Before the gold and the silver and the purple wool, the blue wool, the red wool, the skins, everything. Before any of that. Hashem says, don't give me all that. If you're not giving me your heart, I don't want it. I don't want it. Don't go around and give me tzedakah. And meanwhile, in your heart, it's like, uh, I have no connection to Hashem. But I'm giving and I'm giving and I'm giving. Hashem says, I don't want your chazal v'kesef. First, it's venolibo. First, I want your heart. This Pasha Truma always comes out, or most of the time, comes out in Ador, Adorishon, actually, two weeks before Purim. And there's a very big connection. There's a very big connection between Yedven Libo and Purim. And that's what it means, Mishnichnas Ador, Mabra Mesimcha. I'm going to answer that question. What is the happiness that we have when a person, when we come into Ador? Why don't we have a happiness when we come into Nisan? Nisan's big. Pesach, come on, that's big. Getting out of Mitzrayim. That was ten makos, and Kriyas Yamsuf, and the Mon. You know, Purim's good. Purim's good. You know, we got away with it. But the Jews were in a lot of trouble. Spanish Inquisition, Crusades. We've been in trouble for a long, long time. First base of Midrash, second base of Midrash. Why this month is Mabrim Basimcha? Nisan, we got out of Mitzrayim, Kriyas Yamsuf, should be Mabrim Basimcha. The answer is very simple. A person who only thinks that the only thing that makes him happy is when good things happen to him is not going to be a very happy person. Because how many times do good things happen to you? So, Mitzias Mitzrayim and Kriyas Yamsev, I'm trying to explain this so you understand it. All these things were positive things. That we saw, right? To tell you that you, have, that you should be happy if a guy comes to your house and he just gave you a million dollar check. And I'm telling you, you better be happy. I don't got to tell you that. You're going to be happy, right? You're looking to get married and you go out with a girl and on the second date she says, will you marry me, right? I don't got to tell you to be happy. That's like, wow, if it's the girl that you want to marry, right? So things that, that are open and are good and a positive is not Mabram Basimcha. That's an, that's an innate, that's a normal Simcha. What's the Mabram Basimcha? When bad things happen to you. When bad things happen to you, 
and you can see that from those bad things, good things come out, that is a secret happiness that is not normal, that is not natural. And that is Purim. Because Purim was terrible. If you look at the story, sure, if you look at the end of the story, and we live happily ever after, and Haman's hanging, sure, it's a great story. But if you, if you don't get to the last chapter, if you close the book before the last chapter, this is a very bad, sad story. Every Jew, every mother, every child, everyone's going to be wiped out, they're going to be, their money's going to be taken, Haman's going to be the next kid. Forget it. It's the worst story in the world. In fact, the halacha is that if you don't read, if you read the Megillah from back to front, you're not Yitzah. You're not Yitzah. You read the whole Megillah, but you started from the back, you made a mistake. Start from the end, like you know, great, and you end up by Yibi you're not Yitzah. Why not? Because, no, that's not why. Because the miracle is not the end. You look at it, the miracle is that we got saved. The miracle is in the beginning. All the things that happened in the beginning, she died, Vashti died, he had to go get another a queen. Happened to have been Esther. Esther didn't tell her Maladita. Right? The whole beginning is really where we got saved. The end we didn't get saved. Because of chapter 1 and 2 and 3 and 4 and 5 and 6, the final chapter happened. But it's not the final chapter. It's the first six chapters that made it happen. Like I told you, if you took a teenager, right, and I had this great idea of taking teenagers and making a nursing home for them, and when they're 14 years old, putting them in a coma... Right? Till they're 21. And then waking them up. Right? I would make billions of dollars. I would make billions of dollars. The parents are going to pay me. That's for sure. The teachers are going to definitely pay me. And you know what? Most kids at 15 are like, you know, I'm struggling. I hate this. So I'm going to get paid from the kids, the parents, and the teachers. I'm going to be a billionaire. It was a master plan of mine. Right? Induce coma. What's the big deal? Line them up. Fill up the room. Right? Induce coma. Feed them intravenously. Right? Take $100,000 for 10 years. It's cheap. I'll, that place will be so packed, you won't be getting near it. I'll have them all over the United States, all over the world. It's a fantastic idea. I'm serious. Don't steal it from me. It's a brilliant idea. And the parents, whoever I spoke to, said, oh, my God, you can do that? Like, you can take them at 14 and wake them up at 21? Oh, my God. Ah, forget it. I got four of them. Can I get a deal, like a little cheaper for them, you know? Okay. So I had this master plan, and I was going to go get guys to invest. And then I'll go public. You know what I mean? I'll be a multi-billionaire. And then I won't have to sell raffles. It'll just be much easier. But there's one problem. The problem is, we put this kid to sleep at 14. We wake him up at 21. When he wakes up at 21, how old is he? 14. He didn't grow through all those years of struggle and all those years of a teenager has to go through. So I'm waking up a 21-year-old now with the maturity of a 14-year-old, so I didn't gain anything. So now his parents are going to have to suffer for seven years from 21 to 28. We didn't do anything. We did nothing. you got to go through those years to become a 21-year-old. You can't become a 21-year-old if you're not 19, 18, 17, 16, 20. You can't become a 21-year-old. You can't skip. And therefore, in the... In, thank you. Now, therefore, the Megillah... You can't skip either. Because if you don't have Perak Rishon and Perak Shani and Perak Shlishi, then you don't, there's no saving. The saving is in what happens in the beginning of the Megillah. And therefore, Mishinichnas Adar 
Marbin Besimcha, anyone who understands the month of Adar, he picked the seventh day, right? He picked the day. Listen, he picked the day. He said like this, Moshe Rabbeinu died Zion Adar, in Adar. So that's very bad for the Jews. So I'm going to pick that day, and that's how I'm going to destroy the Jews. That decision, which looks like a terrible decision for us, was the best decision for us. Because he was also born in Adar. So, so it looked bad, ended up being good, and that's the simcha that you have in Adar, you don't have any other month. So a person who understands that the pain and the stuff that he's going through in life, in the end is going to help him, is in the end is going to make, is going to be the first six chapters, but it's going to get into the seventh chapter where La Yehudim of the Simcha, that it was good. If he understands that, that's a Simcha you can't get in any other month. That's a special Simcha that comes in the month of Adar. The, the best example, the best example of this is in the Megillah, which, which I speak about every year. And you know, it's Rishchidosh Adar tonight. So there's a thing to talk a little bit about the Megillah. I'll just give you one, one example. Esther Hamalka. Okay. Esther Hamalka says the Medrish had no parents. Why? Because Haman, who was very smart, don't think for a minute he was an idiot. He was no idiot. He was very smart and very calculated. When he sat with Achashverosh, Achashverosh said, he said to Achashverosh, let's destroy the Jews. Achashverosh said, are you crazy? Do you know how many kings tried to destroy the Jews? Nobody was ever able to do it. Haman the Medrash says, answered Achashverosh, but I am from Amalek. The other kings were Roman and Greek and Persian, whatever they were. I am from Amalek. So Achashverosh says, so how's that going to help? He says, Amalek came from Esav. Esav had unbelievable kibbut of aim for Yitzchak. The only one in the world that can take down the Jews is a child from Amalek. Because Yaakov Avinu went away for 22 years. And he didn't keep kibbutz of the aim. And during those 22 years, Esav kept kibbutz of the aim. We, Amalek, have that mitzvah. And if we get a gzera written, the Jews will not be able to break it. Because we have the most amazing kibbutz of the aim. And it says, the measure says, I don't want to learn for Esav, but it says that Esav never served his father a morsel of food without putting on a Shabbos clothing. He didn't give his father a drink of tea. He for, imagine, anyone in this room get dressed for Shabbos before you give your parents to eat? They're lucky if they see you in your pajamas. They'll be happy. You know, you're not in your bathrobe or, you know, whatever. So imagine every time, Chaim, can you get me a glass of juice? One minute, ma. Eh, suit, tie, you know, brush his hair, take a shower, shave. Okay, here's your tea. That's what Esav did every single time. So Haman, says the Medrash, told Achashverosh, you don't got to worry about me. If I get Xavier written, the Jews are not going to get out. On the other side, what did Baruch do? Esther, her father died when her mother was three months pregnant. When her mother gave birth, at childbirth, her mother died. Now, anyone in this room, if we just read the story till then, would say, what kind of God is this? Poor Shefala, this girl. Her father dies. When she, imagine that Leviah. Could you imagine that Leviah, what the Jews were saying? Here was this woman sitting there pregnant in her third month. And Hashem took away her father, and the father died. God, how could you do this? What kind of God is this? You know, why do good things, why do bad things happen to good people? We would have all been there complaining about God. But imagine the next Leviah. 
when her mother died, what we would have been saying about God. And now, you took away her mother, she has no mother, no father, she'll never have parents? What kind of mean God is this? Why did this happen, says the Medrash? Because the only person in the world that could take down Haman was Esther. Why? Because the Medrash says that Esther never did a pagam in Kibbutz of Ain. She never answered her parents back. She never didn't listen to them. She never did anything wrong to them because she had no parents. She was perfect. Asks the Medrash. Calm down, baby. Calm down. <laughs> Asks the Medrash. That's very good that she never did anything wrong. But she never did anything right. Says the Medrash. That every day, well, from when Esther was old enough to understand, she used to cry to Hashem, I'm not upset that I don't have parents. But I'm upset that I don't have the mitzvah of Kibbut of Aim. All the other children have a chance to do Kibbut of Aim, and I don't have the chance. How many guys in this room say that every day? Tell me. Which one of you? How many guys in this room say every day, Hashem, I'm upset. I can't do more Kibbut of Aim. I wish my parents would ask me to do more. You hear what she said her whole life? That girl, not, oh, Hashem, it's not fair. She has PTA. Her parents show up. And my parents, I don't got no parents. Well, they took her on a, to Florida, you know, on vacation. And I don't have no parents. No! She said, Hashem, I don't need parents. You're my parent. The three partners? So now you took the other two-thirds. But a Baruch Hu, it's not fair. I don't have to give it a name. Every single day, says the Medrash, she davened. So the Kosh Baruch Hu, when Haman and Esau's Malach came and said, Zera, we did Kibbutz of Aim. Yaakov didn't do Kibbutz of Aim. Hashem said, I got one better. I have a girl that never ever did a Pagam in Kibbutz of Aim. Not only she never did anything wrong, but every day she begged, where are my parents? I want to do a mitzvah. And by a Jew, Machshava Kemaisa. When it comes to a mitzvah, if you want to do it and you're not able, you're not parents, it's considered like you did it. Said HaKadosh Baruch Hu, I created a girl your nemesis. The one, the only one that can take Haman down. Now listen to, now, who was her uncle that took her in? Was Mordechai. Listen to this amazing Pasuk in Megillah's Esther. This is what, this is what Mordechai tells Esther. The following. He tells her she should go into the king, right? And she says, I can't, ah. He's gonna, if he doesn't put out his scepter, I'm gonna die. Okay. He sends her a message like this. And the words of Esther were told to Mordechai that she said, I'm scared. He might kill me. He's not gonna put out the scepter. And this is the message that Uncle Mordechai sent back to little niece Esther, who's the queen. Mordechai said, you tell this, you reply this to Esther. And this is what he said. Don't think, don't imagine that Himalayat, that you will be able to escape. Don't think that the Jews are going to get destroyed and you're not going to say anything, that you're going to get, you're going to get. For if you insist to stay silent, in this moment, we don't need you. You think Hashem needs you. Revach, Bahatzala, Yamoid, La Yehudin, Lamakam Acher. 
if you don't step up, somebody else is going to step up. Hashem has many shluchim. And then he says something that sounds like he's trash-talking his niece here. Va'at, and you, ubezavich, and your parents' house, toivedu, will be lost forever. Hello? Hey, he got this girl. She's in the king's, right? You wanted to go put her life on the line. Say, listen, if you're nervous and you're scared, say to Hillam and Havin and pray and fast or do something, you know? No. He trash talks her. If you get up, right? Sounds like a good coach. If you get up and try to catch the ball, well, somebody else is going to catch the ball and be the, and be the star. And I'm telling you right now that if you don't catch the ball, you're just totally wasted. That's what he told Esther. If you don't do this, you're destroyed, you're lost, and then he attacks her family. And your whole household is, what's going on over here? What is he talking about? That's how you talk to your niece? She didn't go through enough in her life? And then he says, he turns totally, and he says, and who knows? Maybe this moment, this second, is why you became queen. So he's like all over the place. He's like all over the place. First he says, listen, you think you're going to get saved? Eh. You're not going to get saved. You think if you don't do it, Hashem's not going to do it from somewhere else? He's going to do it from somewhere else. And I'm telling you, if you don't do it, you're going to be destroyed and your family's going to be destroyed. <coughs> and maybe this is your moment. What's he saying here? It's exactly what I just told you from the Medrash. He said something that is so unbelievable for every single one of us in this room. He said, listen, there's a reason you lost your mother and your father. The part of the book that looks bad, it's there for a reason. There's a reason that you lost your father and mother. The reason that you lost your father and mother is to come to this moment. Because you are the only one that can destroy Asa, can destroy Haman at this moment. If this doesn't work out, Hashem's going to get it from somewhere else. But right now, you're the one that can do it. And the whole reason that you suffered your whole life as a little child, you didn't have parents, was for this. So therefore, if you don't stand up now and use your pain that you went through your whole life to save the Jews, so your whole life was wasted. Ubeisavich is wasted. Your father's house is wasted. You could have had a father and you could have had a mother. And you could have had a beautiful family. So you wasted the whole thing of losing your parents. Because the only reason you lost your parents was to save Kleinsroll. And if you don't get up to save Kleinsroll, why did you have to lose your parents? Based on Vich, You lost your parents for no reason. And then he said, in case, Kazois, you lost your parents for this moment. Because you're the only one that can take them down right now. So the pain that we go through in our lives got kicked out of yeshiva, whatever happened to you. Whatever happened to you in your life that's painful. You gotta read. The Megillah in order. It's chapter by chapter till the end of your life when you'll understand everything that happened. All that pain, maybe so you should understand another kid in 20 years from now why he got kicked out. Maybe your son will get kicked out of Yeshiva and you're going to not be the parent that throws him out the door. You're going to say, it happened to me. And I know where you're coming from. And let's talk about it. Or maybe it'll be somebody else's son. Or maybe Chatzosham, you did drugs and you were able to jump out of the drugs so you could take a guy around and say, I was there. I smoked up more than you did, and look at me today. I'm learning, and I'm davening, and I have kids, and I have a family. And he's going to look up at you and say, oh, my God, I didn't think it was possible. I thought once you're a drug addict, you're done. So you can't look at all the pain in your life at that point and say, oh, you're very, I'm, I'm, I'm so broken. 
I'm sad, I'm down. Yes, she could have done that. Mordechai said, darling, you lost your parents for this moment. If you don't step up now, why do you have to lose them? Your parents were lost for nothing. Basically, you lost them for nothing. But if you step up now, then even though you went through that pain, now that we can see the end of the book, you're going to save the whole Klai Yisrael. And we know the end of the story, guys. Save Klai Yisrael. I went through stuff in my life. I went through stuff, and a lot of stuff that I felt was very unfair in yeshiva, out of yeshiva. I felt was very unfair. I never understood as a kid why it was happening to me. But the minute I walked through the first day in my, as a rabbi 30 years ago, and I walked through that door, I knew exactly why I went through what I went through in yeshiva. Because I had 10 kids sitting in front of me that were just like me. And I wasn't going to do to them what my rebbe did to me. So I understood why I suffered. Because if I wouldn't have suffered, I wouldn't have been the rebbe that I was. So all the garbage and the stuff that I went through, I should thank those rebbe's. Because they made me into the Rebbe that I am today. Because had they not done that to me, I wouldn't understand this kid. And when this kid loses his temper, whatever it is, I'm able to step back. Hey, well, Walston, how, how, how come you have so much patience? How could you have so much patience? This kid just spit you in the face. You know what the answer is? Because my Rebbe's didn't have patience with me. So I can have so much patience because I know what it means to feel like on the other end. Not every Rebbe. I had good Rebbe's also. And I'm not only talking about Rebbe's in business and everything. All the things that happen to you in your life, it's there for one moment sometimes. For one moment, all that suffering, so you can help the guy next to you. It could be one moment, it could be on an airplane, it could be in a car, it could be on a bus, it could be that you understand something about another person than nobody else because they didn't suffer like you did. And that is Ador. That is this month, and that should make you happy. The Shenichnas Ador, Mabim Besimcha, understanding that the hidden things and the things that look bad are really for my good that I'm never unhappy, that I'm always happy, whether you're kissing me or smacking me, I love you just as much. Because if you're smacking me and I know that I believe that Hashem, there's a reason that I'm getting smacked, thank you. Maybe because you smacked me, I won't smack someone else because I know what it feels like to have a hand on my face. So you know what? Thank you for smacking me so that I don't make the same mistake you made. That's Adar. That's Meshinichnas Adar. That's what HaKadosh Baruch Hu is saying. And the broken, broken luchos, it doesn't matter. The broken luchos are as close to me as the whole luchos. Because the broken luchos were broken to get to the whole luchos. You couldn't have gotten to the whole luchos without the broken luchos. And you know what? Without the broken luchos, there may have not been a mishkan. The mishkan was because of the ego. The mishkan was to show Christ that HaKadosh Baruch Hu forgives and HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants to live with us. All He wants us to do is to take His blueprint and to, learn, and to look at His blueprint and to build our houses, our souls, our, our person to become a place where you could say, God, you're welcome in me and a God will feel comfortable. And if you have that, you don't have anything to worry about. Mishenichnas Ador Mam Besimcha the Aruch doesn't tell you drinking and drugging and whatever you're going to do will never bring you to the simcha of understanding that even when things are tough, it's for my good. Just the opposite. That's anesthesia. All that stuff is anesthesia. You don't, it doesn't make you feel good at all. It makes you feel nothing. Drugs don't make you guys say, oh man, it makes me feel so good. It don't make you feel good. It makes you feel nothing. And if you're in pain, nothing is good. 
but nothing is never good. Anesthesia is not good. If you got to go under anesthesia, that means you got to have surgery. It means if you got to go anesthesia, that means they got to cut you up. They got to pull a tooth. They got to do something or else you could be wide awake. So if a person is going in pain into anesthesia, you're just saying, it's getting worse. I got, I need surgery. Just the opposite. Anesthesia is the worst thing. Drugs, all this stuff is the worst stuff for a person. A person has to come to an understanding. I'm in the middle of the book. It looks pretty bad. Humman's running the show. All the Jews are going to die. It's looking really bad. There's a day left. The, the queen, she's a total traitor. I mean, if you open the middle, middle of this book, Esther, hang her with Haman. What kind of Jewish queen is this? Imagine opening it. You never learned about it in Gilead. It's the first time you be, you're about tshuva, you're singing yeshiva. Ooh, let me look at the story. Jewish queen named Esther invites Akashverosh and his partner Haman to come to the party and drink with her. Traitor. How dare she invite can you imagine you heard a Jew invited Hitler, Yamak Shemo, to come to lunch? That's what she did. She invited Hitler, Yamak Shemo, Haman, to come to lunch with the king. She looks like the biggest traitor in the world. So even the Jews who said, eh, we have Hillary Clinton in the world, you know, uh, we have a connection to the office, you know, politics, you know, we got our girl in. We got our girl in. Esther's in, you know? She's the queen. Now what were they saying? Oh, when the news said, and tonight at 10 o'clock, Esther just invited Haman to a private party with liquor and wine to be served. The Jews walked away and said, what? What, what, what happened here? She's a traitor. And then the ones who were saying, no, 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 don't judge her, you know, maybe, yeah, yeah. She bites him again. Oh, then she's really a traitor. So you have to get to the end of the story. And all this stuff has to lead up to the end of the story. And boys, we don't see the end of the story till we're in the next world. We don't. So if you open up in the middle of the book and the guy's going through this and he lost his panasa and he's having a problem with this, he's having a problem with this. Oh, ha, ha. Traitor, look what's going on over here. You got to see the end of the story. So Hashem takes one miracle called Purim and he lets you see from the beginning till the end and there's a lot of pain in between. And he does that for us in Adar so that we should understand that all the bad things that happen in our life are really for our good. And anyone in this room who could really understand that and believe that, will always be happy. Kiss me, smack me. It doesn't make a difference. I need the kiss and I need the smack, or I wouldn't be getting it. It doesn't make a difference. And that's what Ador is all about. And that's automatic. And therefore, I want to just tell you a story. I know it's late. I have to tell you something. I just, I, you know, it's funny. I, I go to Landau's. I never have time to pull Swarim out. And yesterday, I went to Davin, and I got there very early. I got there not early, it was late, but it was in between Mignonim, so I was early for the late Mignon, whatever. I mean, late, I'm not, late, late is 9.30, you guys are thinking 11 o'clock, I'm not telling you you can go down at 11 o'clock, you have to down before Zmanzilla, that's for sure. But anyway, so I'm downstairs, and I have like 10 minutes, so I'm looking for Svarim, and I'm like, standing there, I have my, I have my whole shir prepared about Simcha, Simcha, and I, this book is staring at me, I never saw this book before, Ivdu es Hashem b'simcha. I'm like, God, I think I'm supposed to read this, right? Okay. Because I'm writing a shir on simcha. And I never saw this book before, and I, it's safer. And I open up the safer. I want to read you what it opened up to. And I'm ending with this. It's a medrash on Purim. And a story, one of the most amazing stories I've ever, I've ever read in my life. 
I just opened it up to this. The book is written, I don't know if he, by Yaakov Selnik. Yaakov Selnik, 517 Forest Avenue, number two, Lakewood, New Jersey. If you want to call him, it's at 732-886-0411. Okay, you got all the information. Okay. Here we go. Listen carefully. The Medrash says, the Medrash says the following story. I know the story from the Medrash. When Ham, after Haman put up the gallows to hang Mordechai, so Haman saw Mordechai was learning. Where, where did the Jew, what do you do when, when you, when the whole, the whole Jewish nation is going to be wiped out? Where do you go? You go to Yeshiva. That's right. And who's going to save the Jews? The Jewish children. So Mordechai, when it was decided that we're going to be all hung, and Mordechai was going to be hung, so he went to see where Mordechai was. He wanted to take him out, ready to hang him. And where was he? He was in Yeshiva learning with the children. What were the children doing? They were sitting on the floor. They were wearing sackcloth. They were crying. There's, there's a medrash in, 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 on Purim. And Haman took account of how many children were learning, how many children were crying and fasting. There were 22,000 children gathered together that Mordechai was hoping would Davit Hashem and save us. The, the medrash says that he put together 22,000 children because there were 22,000 angels that it says in the Medrash by Harsinai, there were 22,000 angels that came to Harsinai. So Mordechai was sort of trying to use the Malachim that were by Harsinai because the children were learning Torah from Harsinai. Okay, it's a very deep, it's all very deep. I'm not going to get into that Medrash. Anyway, Haman went ahead and he bound, he, he bound the children, all the 22,000 children with metal chains and he set up, this is the Medrash, and the Medrash says, and he set up guards and he told Mordechai, Tomorrow I'm going to kill all 22,000 children and I'm going to hang you. So the Medrash says. When Haman left, there were guards there. These children were chained, Nebuch. So the mothers came running and they came to the children and they brought them food. And they told their children, listen, tomorrow you're going to die anyway. He said he's going to kill you all. We don't want you to die hungry. This is what they told them. So we, they want, you know, Jewish mothers. <laughs> die, no die, you know. Eat this and take another portion and, you know, just a little bit more, right? Okay. So the children answered and they said that we swear by the life of Mordechai, our Rebbe, that we will not eat or drink. We will die while we're fasting. The Medrash says, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, in the next, in the other, in, in Shemayim heard this. And he said to his Malachim, it sounds like the crying of sheep that are about to be slaughtered. That's what he said. Moshe went in front of Hashem and said, no, it's not sheep, it's not goats, but it's your children, your yeshiva children, your, your, your boys, your, your little children, Israel. And he said, they've been fasting, the Medrash says these kids were fasting for three days and three nights, no eating, no drinking. Three days and three nights, 22,000 children. And he said, Hashem, they're fasting for three days and tomorrow you're going to let them be slaughtered like goats and sheep. And the Medrash says, HaKadosh Baruch Hu took the Gzeirah and he tore it up. That's when he tore it up. And he threw the pieces of the Gzeirah at the Malach of Achishverosh. It was over. At that point, the Gzeirah was ripped. Okay. Now, we learn from here that a Jewish child, even a little kid, is not scared to die. Kiddush Hashem. He's, he's plugged into God. He's ready to die for Hashem. That's Kiddush Hashem. Therefore, listen carefully. The mothers came to the kids and said... If you're going to fast and you're going to die from fasting, right? And you're not going to die in Kiddush Hashem, dying, you know, in public for being a Jew. 
then you wasted the three days you fasted. Because you're going to be dead. You're never going to get up there for him to kill you in public. So we're giving you to eat. Hello? You here, guys? We're giving you to eat so you should live. So you can die. While you're alive, you should be able to die because Hashem. You hear what level the Jews were on? And they said, no. They said that, it's not ridiculous. They answered and they said, no, it doesn't matter to us, Kiddush Hashem or no Kiddush Hashem. We are doing Teshuva for Klai Yisrael. It says that one hour spent in total Teshuva in this world, for Mishnah Pekayavos, is better than the next whole, the whole Elam Haba, the whole next world. So, it's not about Kiddush Hashem, it's just about davening and fasting, and therefore, Shuva is fasting, we're not giving up our fasting. Okay. To show you what, where a Jew can be, now listen to what I'm about to tell you. So he brings down two stories, I was crying like a baby when I read the second story that I'm about to tell you. I was mamish crying, I, never, I don't think I ever cried reading a story like I cried by this story. So I want you to understand what it means to give your heart to Hashem. What does this mean, Yidveno Libo? What does it mean to donate my heart to Hashem? I want to tell you these two stories so you can understand what it means to donate a heart to Hashem. So he says the following story. He says, this is a true story. In medieval Italy, so they used to have a local in the city, in, in Italy, in the town, they used to have a, uh, they used to honor always a local saint. That's what they used to do. How was it, how did they honor their local saint on their holiday? They would take all the Jewish men and they would make them run through the streets only wearing their underwear, their shorts. And all the people would laugh. You know, all these Jewish men, they had to get undressed and they would run through the streets and the people, that was how they served their saint. That was their joke. That was their fun. That was these Christians' fun. That was, that's, that was their fun. There was one tailor who was extremely obese. And of course, when he ran, Right? His stomach was shaking up and down. And he was the biggest joke. And everybody was laughing at him more than anybody else. Because he was very heavy. And running naked, half naked in, in the streets. They were having a time of their lives. Every year, the tailor's wife would yell at him and say, Can't you lose some weight? I mean, you're embarrassing me. You know, you're the only fat Jew running in the thing. Everybody's laughing at you. You hear what his wife's saying? Okay, we have to check out how the shidduch went exactly because if that's what she's worried about, like, hello, the man's running and they're all laughing. I mean, you know, but, you know, so she, she told him, all the women, they see you huff and puff. You can't keep up with the other men. You appear comical. Your huge stomach is jiggling all over the place, right? But he tried and he tried to diet and he could not lose weight. He was also embarrassed and he could not lose weight. One year... These goyim, these people, found that the running of the Jew, you know, they have the running of the bull, the running of the Jew, got boring. It doesn't, like, no one's laughing anymore. So, they wanted a better show. So they decided that it would be much more fun, instead of watching the Jews run, to take one Jew on that day and burn him at the stake. Alive. And, who was their first victim? The fat tailor. Now listen carefully about giving your heart to Hashem. Upon hearing the decision of the court, he said to his weeping wife, who was crying that she's going to lose her husband, he says, now I understand why I couldn't lose any weight. And now I understand why Hashem made me so fat. So 
so that I will burn longer at the stake, thus making a greater Kiddush Hashem. You hear? You hear what it means to give up your Libai, Takarish Baruch Hu? He turned around, instead of being angry, he said, you know why Hashem created me fat? I never understood! I tried to lose weight, and I couldn't. And I was born fat. I, could, I don't understand why. Now I understand why. So I could be a carbon. And that if I'm going to be the carbon, I'm going to burn longer and longer, and that's going to be a bigger and a bigger Kiddush Any Jew that's ready and able to give his heart to me, that's the one I dwell in. That's the, that's the Luchai. That's the Kaddish Kedashim. Every person sitting in this room has a Kaddish Kedashim inside. And what's in that Kaddish Kedashim is your Neshama. And sometimes your Neshama is broken. Sometimes it's the broken Luchais. And sometimes it's the whole Luchais. But that Neshama no guy can ever destroy. Nobody can destroy. Now listen to the second story and with this I'm ending. The second story he says takes place in a small Polish town. It was the time when the pogroms, for those who know what the pogroms, they used to come into a town and wipe out all the Jews. And this town became the target of a frenzied crowd. So they set up these, these programs, these people who were against the Jews, they set up a mock court, and they decided to try a couple of Jews, witches, this, that, to make up all kinds of stories, committed against the crimes, committed against the state of Poland. Among those charged was a beautiful young Jewish girl with long black hair. Sitting up straight in her chair, she heard the verdict pronounced guilty. Whatever they were, which, whatever they were calling her, guilty. Now the court had to decide how she should die. Finally, decision was made that they were going to take her beautiful long hair and they would tie it to the tail of a horse. And then they would have the horse run through the streets and the horse would kick, would be wildly kicking the girl and she would be dragged along the rocks through the streets until she dies. Yeah, guys, this happened. Many times to us. Many, many, many times. But you go watch the Giants. That's what's important. Anyway, I just had to say that. Anyway. There were, there were yeshivas that had, that had, that had Super Bowl parties. All the Talmudim came to yeshiva to watch Super Bowl. I, I, I don't understand. Maybe we should ask this girl and that guy what he thinks. Okay, I got it off my system. Anyway, let me finish the story. So, that's, that's what they're gonna do. For doing nothing, a beautiful girl with long, with a long, right? Beautiful girl, that's what they're gonna do to her. Sitting next to her was her best friend, a married young lady. Hearing what was to be the main attraction, the highlight of the day's events, this girl that was sitting next to her, who was not gonna be killed, broke into uncontrollable crying. Calmly, the girl, who was going to be dragged through the streets to her death, turned to face her friend. And this is what she told her friend. Please give me two of your hat pins. You know what hat pins are? They're about this long. They're stuck into a woman's hat. So the girl that was going to be dragged through the street turned to her friend and said, please give me two of your hat pins. Bewildered, the friend only could stutter, why? Why would you want my hat pins? She said, please, just give me your hat pins. Mesmerized, the friend took the two hat pins and handed it over to this Jewish girl with the long hair. Quietly and quickly, she took a hat pin, 
and dug it through her skirt, the bottom of her skirt, into her leg. She then did it to the other, with the other hat pin into the other leg. And now her friend understood. Amazed that upon hearing the horrible death that this innocent young girl would soon be facing, she thought only of maintaining her modesty. The pins were to prevent her skirt from rising as she was being dragged through the streets by this horse. You hear? You hear what it means to give your heart to Hashem? Hashem She was worried that they're dragging me through the streets, that my skirt is going to go up and it's not going to be tzniyah. So she took hat pins, stuck it through her skirt into her leg so that when they drag her to her death, she should be a tznuah. Says HaKosh Baruch Hu, my children who are willing to give me their hearts, I promise you, I will dwell in you. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.